Get your Bibles out tonight, Hebrews 11. We've been spending our time in the Hall of Fame of Faith, and we're moving along here. Um, tonight, we're going to shift gears a little bit, do things a little bit out of order. How many know it's okay to be out of order once in a while? Unless you're a soda machine or an escalator. But it's okay to go out of order. It says here in Hebrews 11:32, And what more shall I say... For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Right there is a partial list of those who are in the Hall of Fame of Faith. So, Father, we thank you tonight for Hebrews 11. We thank you for this study. I pray that it is encouraging our faith to know who's there and how they got there, Father, so that we can uh, follow the pattern, so that we can follow the principles so that we can follow Jesus to the cross and live a life of faith that blesses you and attracts your attention and also produces fruit that remains for eternity. Lord God, show us tonight some of the character in this man we're about to look at so that it can get into us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we looked at Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah last week and we are looking at those who made the Hall of Fame from the period of the judges. And, you know, I've said this with each one that we looked at. Uh, they were judges in Israel. Why? Because Israel was in a leaderless position. There was no leadership in Israel. And the book of Judges says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And if this doesn't apply to our generation, I don't know what does. Because not only do people unabashedly, unashamed do things that you know, would not have been done in other generations. You think back to our grandparents' generation and some of the things that pass for okay today. Never passed the muster in that day. And so we see everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. There's no leadership. There was no king in Israel. This period of the judges will give way to the period of the kings. And we covered a few of the judges there, Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. Uh, the next mention in the text in order is King David. Now, we're going to skip over King David. We're going to go out of order because David was not a judge in the sense of the judges that God raised up, but he was the second king of Israel. We're going to skip over David, and we're going to look at Samuel. Samuel, the prophet, was the last judge in the book of Judges. Sometimes people forget that. Uh, hard to understand how he can hold multiple offices. We're going to talk about that. But David's inclusion in the Hall of Fame of Faith is put on hold. We're going to cover him. But Samuel is a very important man in David's life. Samuel the prophet was a mentor and a, uh, someone who, you know, counseled David. He also uh, ushered in the period of the kings. As we put David on the shelf, realize you almost have to talk about Samuel before you talk about David. Uh, David's earthly father didn't think much of him. In fact, when it was time for Samuel to pick out one of Jesse's sons who would be king, the father didn't even think enough to bring David in from the field. Some scholars think David is the byproduct of an illegitimate relationship, and he was an embarrassment to Jesse. So he kept him out there in the back 40 with the sheep, and he brought all his you know, sons that had the pedigree and had the, the lineage, and they were... You know, they were in his eyes, the cream of the crop, and certainly it wasn't David, but Samuel looked for a son, and God had chose David. Samuel's a very important man in David's life. So we're going to talk about Samuel tonight, 
Uh, Samuel is an incredible character in uh, Bible history, an incredible prophet in Israel. Uh, the things about him that uh, denote his character are many, but we're going to cover 10 of them tonight. 10 things we should know about Samuel. Number one, Samuel's birth was a miracle. How many understand when you start off with miracles in your life, even before you come out of the womb, you're on, a, you're on to a good start? Samuel's birth was a miracle. His mother, Hannah, uh, tarries for him. And, you know, his, his birth was, you know, not something that was ordinary in the sense because Hannah was barren. Now, the scriptures contain many Bible characters that had interesting births, hard births, those who were barren who gave birth. We see that theme over and over again. There are interesting pregnancies involving Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob, Samson, John the Baptist. You think about Jacob and Esau in the womb. They, they were fighting in the womb already. They came, Jacob came out. Esau had his heel. He was trying to beat him out of the birth canal. Interesting stuff in Scripture. So there's many interesting pregnancies. Uh, but the backstory to Samuel's birth is amazing in that, you know, we meet Samuel's parents before we meet him, and his mother's faith is what actually makes Samuel possible. His mother, Hannah, was barren. Her husband, Elkaniah, tries to comfort her. He's like, aren't I worth more to you than so many children? And, the, and it goes dead silent. Think about that. The husband's like, you got me, baby. And she's like, she wanted a child. She wanted a man-child. She wanted to be pregnant. She wanted to have a, a, a son. And, you know, Elkaniah tries to cheer her up. He tries to console her. But Hannah is not hearing it. She is not happy with her barrenness. She doesn't pay attention to what her husband tries to pacify her. No, but she goes right to God with amazing tenacity. She, she goes before God broken, and she gets God's attention. Now, God hears her cries, and she makes a deal with with him. You know, a lot of people like to play let's make a deal with God. Just remember what we learned from Jephthah. If you make a vow to the Lord, you better on intend to keep it. Remember when we talked about Jephthah, whatever comes out of my house, when I come back, if I, you know, if I beat the Ammonites, I'll sacrifice to you and his daughter runs out. You make a vow to the Lord, you better keep that vow to the Lord. Hannah is before the Lord. She's broken. She's weeping. She's seeking him with tenacity. She makes a deal with God. She says, God, if you open my womb, if you give me a man child, I'll dedicate him to you all the days of his life. And she makes this vow, and God hears her vow. And in her desperation, he opens her womb, and out comes Samuel. Now, his birth is amazing. His birth is a miracle. His birth is drenched in faith. This was a special guy. Even before he's born, God has marked him. And his mother's made a vow about him. We're going to see some of the implications of that. So Samuel's birth is a miracle. Number two, Samuel's name all by itself is significant. Samuel actually can be translated name of God or God has heard. See, Hannah remembers her vow. She knows it was God that opened her womb. She names the boy appropriately what? That God had heard. What had God heard? Her cry, her plea, her desperation. His name uh, is impregnated with, you know, the type of character, the type of man he's going to be, a man of God, a man who hears from God, a mighty prophet of God who speaks the word of God. Hannah names the boy God has heard in gratitude to what the God of heaven has done for her. You know, gratitude is a very important thing. You know, people get desperate, but then when they get what they want, they forget how desperate they were. 
Come on, you ever notice people, oh, God, if you do this for me, God, if you do. You know, when you were a little kid and you saw a toy in the store and it was way too expensive, and you said, Mom and Dad, if you get me this, I'll never ask for anything again. Anybody else do that? And, and she cries out with passion, but she doesn't forget the Lord. She remembers the Lord. She names the boy appropriately, and she's going to keep her vow to dedicate him to the Lord. We're going to see that. But Samuel's birth is a miracle. Samuel's name is significant. And, and the first thing I want to tell you about Samuel is that he was a priest. Hannah does dedicate him to the Lord. She actually drops him off as a child to the priest so that the priests can raise him. Wow. I don't know about you, but that takes faith to pray for what you want so badly and to get it only to release it into the hands of the Lord. Usually when we pray for the thing we really, 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 really want, when we get it, we want to enjoy it ourselves. She raises that boy till she weans him, and then she drops him. When she's done breastfeeding him, when she's done, I mean, he's just a little guy, she drops him off to the priest for them to raise him. Hannah's faith is amazing. It, it, it's something that's a precursor to the type of man that Samuel's going to be. His mother's faith is passed down to him, and he becomes a mighty man of faith. But the first thing he becomes is a priest. Now, Samuel's lineage was that of the tribe of Levi, and that's important because only Levites could be priests. While Samuel was qualified through his lineage to be a priest, he, he, he begins to serve in the temple as a little child. Now, he's a Levite. His pedigree is right. He can serve as a priest. He can serve in the temple because of his lineage. And he goes on to be a priest, but he's also much, much more than a priest. We're going to look at that here. Samuel acts as a priest over Israel when he's grown, when he takes his office. He's, ser he's serving under the high priest at the time. And it says here in 1 Samuel 7, 9, that and Samuel took suckling lambs and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. So see, he becomes a priest, but he's not just a worker in the temple. He's, he's one who goes in on behalf of the people and makes offerings for them. Now, a burnt offering of meat was a sin offering. So he's going in as a priest before the Lord, and he's making petitions for the people. He's making offerings for them, and the word says that God hears him. That's important, amen? There's a lot of people who pray and say they have a relationship with God and say they know Jesus and all this stuff, but when they pray, nothing happens. Amen to that. And, you know, it's like, well, I know God, and I'm spiritual and all this stuff, and they pray and nothing happens. You know the people that pray and stuff begins to happen, amen? Samuel's that guy. He's an intercessor. How many would like someone praying for you and interceding for you that God hears? Amen. When I'm in trouble and I need prayer, I don't go to, I don't go to amateur prayers. Right? I, I go to my mom. She can pray. Man, she got God on the hotline. I, you know, you go to people around you that you know that they can, they can touch heaven. Samuel's that guy, and he's functioning as a priest, and that's important. There were a lot of Levites who did their priestly duties, but they, they weren't connected to heaven in the sense that they had God's ear. So it's important to see him as a priest who's active, who has a heart for the people. To go in and represent the people and make offerings for them shows that he has a heart for the people. He's not only a priest, but he has a shepherd's heart. 
See, that's important for spiritual leadership. You, you can't just be a Christian worker. You just can't be a teacher or an intellectual or let's just pass on information. You've got to have a heart for the people. You've got to have a heart to serve the people on God's behalf. Samuel had that. Not only was Samuel a priest, but number four, Samuel was a judge. The reason that we're talking about him tonight in Hebrews 11, he's, he's part of the judges in this period that are included in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Now, he would be the last of the judges, and his ministry would facilitate Israel's transition to the era of the kings. I'm going to say this a couple times tonight, but I want you to remember this about Samuel. Samuel was a transitional figure. He tied up a lot of loose ends. He was a man of such integrity that he could function in several offices simultaneously. And what he does here in being the last judge, he serves as a priest. He judges Israel. He brings order to Israel. He brings spiritual soundness of doctrine to Israel. And then he transitions from the era of judges right into the era of the kings. It's important to see who Samuel is. He's not only a priest, but he's a judge. And number five, Samuel was also a prophet. He is a priest, a judge, and a prophet. Samuel was not only the last judge, but he is the first of the prophets. See, see how, I mean, you would, you would just hear about this guy and read about him first and second Samuel, see him interact with David, but not realize how pivotal and important he is to Israel's history. He was the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. Another thing about him transitionally, transitioning from judges to prophets, transitioning from judges to the era of the kings. Acts 3.24 says this, yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. So Acts acknowledges the fact that Samuel is the first of the prophets and all the prophets that follow him because he is the, he's the prototype. He transitions from judge to prophet and into the era of the kings, and he acts as a prophet to foretell prophecy to the people of Israel and to the church at large today. Now, Moses is also a prophet of sorts. You know, Moses, again, a very pivotal figure, especially in the Jewish tradition, but Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And many, many people don't realize that. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, De Numbers, Deuteronomy, all Moses. Uh, Moses was a prophet of sorts, but not like the office that Samuel held. Samuel was a prophet in the sense that his prophetic things were three-dimensional. He prophesied of that day, of days to come, and even of things of past. So he, he started the office of the prophets, and uh, he was the beginning of them, and he was the end of the judges. So, so far, you know, number six is the fact that Samuel held three offices simultaneously. What was he? He was a priest, he was a judge, and he was a prophet. Anybody else have too much work to do? Come on. Why, why, why would God put so much in one guy? Because he's a pivotal guy, because he's a man of God uh, that acts as a transitional uh, person in this situation. So he holds three offices at the same time. Now, everything about Samuel's ministry was transitional and pivotal. We've said that. But I want you to notice something about his character that allows that to happen. You say, well, God, I want all these gifts, and I want all these callings, and I, I want to function as this, and I want to do that. And, and that's a good thing, amen. It's a good thing to desire spiritual gifts. 
All of you have them. So don't try and look innocent tonight. You got gifts. And God uses your gifts sometimes, whether you know it or not, but it's good for us to desire even the greater gifts, the Scripture says, to pray for them, that the Lord might put them on us. You know, he has these three offices here, and you say, well, what allowed him to do that? Well, it was his faith, and we're going to see that faith is impregnated in everything this guy does. It was his integrity. He, he didn't waver to the right or the left. He didn't have, you know, a, a Bathsheba moment. He didn't, you know, he didn't drop the ball on God in his lifetime. I'm not saying he was sinless, but, you know, he, he didn't turn to the right or the left. So he was a man of integrity. He faithfully executed the duties of all three offices, and his, his character is unparalleled. You know, when we look at him, we, you know, people say, oh, I want to be like David. I, 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 David's awesome, but I, want, I would rather be more like Samuel, solid, with no detours, with no sins, with no flaw. I mean, this guy was as solid as a human being can be. And that's why his faith and his integrity, his faithful execution of his offices are unparalleled. Uh, Samuel, like Enoch, serves as a great example of someone who did it right. Amen. I remember as a young man going into the ministry in Bible school, asking one of my spiritual mentors, you know, we were talking about there was all these falls in the ministries. There was ministries falling. There was uh, things happening with uh, people being exposed, and you had all these things with, you know, Jim Baker and J Jimmy Swagger and all that stuff. And, and the body of Christ was just shattered. I remember looking at that man of God in the eye and say, is anybody doing it right? And as a young man, I could see the look in his eye that, you know what, he, he couldn't say yes because it seemed like the body of Christ was so compromised and so fractured that there were so many flaws. Here's a guy like Enoch who serves as a great example of someone who maintains his integrity through his lifetime. I hope that inspires you tonight. You say, well, that ship sailed already for me, Pastor Rick. Listen, when God grabs a hold of us, and like Peter who messed up and denied Jesus three times, we can go from a denier to one who, you know, is just a proclaimer. Peter became a pillar in the church. Like, I don't think anybody's uh, went out and, you know, denied Jesus or, you know, like Paul killed Christians. Paul becomes the greatest apostle that ever lives. It's never too late for us, Amen. You know, the past is the past, and it can be under the blood. But at some point, if God grabs a hold of us and really gets our hearts, we can function in integrity. And you know what? It's amazing how gracious God is. He's, you know, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. You say, oh, pastor, I blew it. I, you know, I'm this and I'm that in my past. Your past is under the blood, amen? It, it, listen, God doesn't remember it anymore. Only the devil remembers it. And he keeps reminding you, stop listening to him. Amen? When the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Amen? He's headed for the pit. I wish there were some Christians here tonight. I'm telling you what. You, you're not believing me. No, no, you don't know what I've done. Oh, yeah, I know this, that the blood of Jesus is more powerful than anything we've done. So Samuel serves as an example. Now, he didn't have detours, but he did maintain his integrity. He, he has faith in everything he does. This guy being in the Hall of Fame of Faith, well, well we get it. Um, and like Enoch, he's a great example. Number seven, Samuel is like Samson, not in his strength or not in him messing with, you know, women all the time, but he's like, Sam, he's like Samson in the sense that he was a Nazarite from birth. Many people don't know this 
about Samuel, but his mother Hannah made a vow for him before he would, was born, before he was even conceived. She's making a deal with God, and she's making promises. You know, Samuel didn't have any say in the thing. You know, how many times, you know, someone makes a promise on your behalf? Thanks, Mom. But he was vowed by his mother who conceived him in faith by her passionate, you know, crying out to God that he would be a Nazarite from birth. Now, 1 Samuel 1.11 says this. It gives you the account. She, Hannah, made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, I will indeed, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, she's specific, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come on his head. What was she saying there? She was saying, I'll dedicate him to you as a Nazarite. Now, if you remember when we talked about Samson, the Nazarite vow was this. It, it means that there would be no drinking of fermented drink, so there was no wine, there was no alcohol for Samuel. He would never cut his hair like Samson. No razor was to touch his head, and he was not to touch dead things. So you say, what's the point of the Nazarite vow? It's consecration. When you're a Nazarite, everybody can tell. Why? Because your beard and your hair, you know, you, you, you're going to look, look like a wild man. You know, think about it, guys. If you never cut your beard, if you never cut your hair, some of us have never combed our hair, but if you never cut your hair, right? I mean, that, what is that? Anybody can tell. This guy's different right here. So that difference in him is consecration. It's being set apart. Consecration, sanctification, all that is being set apart for holy use. Samuel was set apart for holy use from before his conception, from before the womb. You know what? And you and I are consecrated to the Lord as well. God doesn't want us half in the world and half out of the world. He doesn't want us covered with sin and, and, and the filth of the world. No, he wants us set apart. He wants to consecrate us, to set us apart for holy usage. The Nazarite vow here for him to take this thing showed that he was set apart for God's use and God's use alone. Number eight, Samuel anoints the first two kings of Israel. He anoints Saul, the people's choice, and David, God's choice. Now, Samuel, we said that, you know, he's this judge, and he's a priest, and he's a prophet. He's functioning in all three of these offices. He's transitional. And so here's an example of him actually making the transition. He, you know, Samuel's heart was that the people would just follow after God. When Israel's crying out to the prophet Samuel, we want a king, we want to be like every other nation, we want a king to rule over us, guess what he said? He said, no, you're crazy, no. Samuel, in his wisdom, discouraged the people of God and actually, actually refuted their desire for a king by, by basically saying, you know, it was disgraceful that they would desire to have a human king rule over them when God Almighty wanted to lead his people himself. See, God always wanted to have intimacy with his creation. He wanted that with Adam and Eve, and sin shattered that. He wanted to have intimacy with his creation, to know them face to face. He tried to have it with Moses, and he knew Moses face to face, but the people, they were too sinful. They wouldn't submit to the law, and so they were estranged from God, and they had to send Moses 
you know, to be the one to broker relationship for them. These kings here, you know, it just shows that the people's heart had strayed from God and they wanted to be like every other nation. Why would you want to be like everybody else when you're special? I want to say that again on Wednesday night at Full Gospel Center. Why would you want to be like everybody else when God made you special? Oh, God, I just want to blend in. I just want to be like the world. I just want to, you know, I just want to, you know, get a job and, and work and, and, and have a house and 2.5 kids and a dog and just be normal and natural and just kind of blend in. Why would you want to do that when God made you special? To stand out, to be different, to shine the light in the darkness, to be salt and light in the earth. Too many people want to be ordinary and God wants to pour some extraordinary out on his people so that we stand out, amen? So they want a king. Samuel, in his wisdom, tries to discourage it. But check this out here. God, you know, when they want a king, Samuel takes it as a failure upon himself. And God basically comes to him and says, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. And you know what he tells them? Give them what they want. What? Samuel's being like, are you kidding me? Do I have to? God's like, Yeah. Give them what they want. You see, sometimes when the people of God are stubborn and refuse the grace of God, God will give them what they want. There's a lot of churches out there that don't preach out of this anymore because the people don't want to hear it. And so God says, okay, you don't want this? I'll give you what you want. And those churches are empty of the move of God. They might be full of people with itching ears and preachers who tell them what they want to hear. Oh, you could sin. Oh, it's under the grace. Oh, you know, it's okay. You could live together. You could fornicate. You could have adultery. You could change your gender. You, you could vote for abortion. You could do whatever you want, and it's all happy clappy. But judgment day is coming. And God will hold all of us to account and especially those who stand behind pulpits, they will be judged twice as harshly. We want a king. God said, okay, I'll give you a king. If you study the era of the kings over Israel, most of them were wicked, oppressive kings who taxed the living snot out of the people, who took their sons and sent them into battle and killed them wholesale. Oh, we want a king. Samuel was enough of a servant of God to obey God and give the people what they wanted, so he anoints Saul as king. Now, interestingly enough, Samuel loved Saul. And as you know, Saul turned out to be a hot mess and a spiritual disaster for Israel. Can I get an amen? He was the people's choice. Why? Because he was tall and he was handsome. And the Bible says he was head and shoulders above the people. Woo, here's Fabio. He's going to be the king. See, like Samson, the people always choose with their eyes. So he anoints this Saul and he's the people's choice. And he's, he becomes apostate. He becomes a disaster for Israel to the point where God stops talking to him. And while Saul is still on the throne. God then again tells Samuel to anoint David. So talk about, you know, wait, we got a king already. I didn't want him. You didn't want him. They wanted him. God says, anoint somebody else. Awkward, right? That's a mess right there. We got a little political mess in Israel now. So Saul's 
on the throne. God's rejected him. He hasn't talked to him anymore. He breaks off fellowship with him. Now, uh, David is anointed king, Jesse's forgotten son. Samuel anoints him, sets him apart, sends him back out to the pasture, and lets him wait. Now, number nine is this. Samuel is one of the few Old Testament characters we see again beyond the grave. Now, if that sounds a little weird, it is a little bit weird, amen? You know, but, you know, in Scripture, we have to understand, you know, there are the groups like the Sadducees that didn't believe in the resurrection. Well, the Old Testament proves the resurrection in that, you know, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God speaks to them because they're still alive. He's not the God of the dead, but the living. And also we see... We see Samuel appearing here after his death. We know in the New Testament that Moses and Elijah appeared at Jesus' transfiguration. So we see some precedents here where people who are dead and gone are still alive, and they are part of you know, the afterlife, but yet we see them again in this life, Moses, Elijah, and now Samuel. So they tasted of death and then their resurrection. We also, Lazarus was dead, right? They wrapped him up in the grave clothes, and, you know, Jesus calls him out of the tomb. His sisters say, no, he's going to stink. Jesus is like, take those grave clothes off him and let him loose, amen? So resurrection is part of our hope as Christians. Jesus was the prototype of the resurrection, but we see Elijah appearing here, uh, you know, beyond the grave. Now, the situation is a little different between Moses and Elijah appearing at the transfiguration. Um, what happens here with Samuel is that Saul is cut off from God and he can't hear God anymore. How many understand when you're the king and you got problems and you got wars to fight and you got all these things, you need to hear from God. Saul had become so wicked and so obstinate that God stopped talking to him. So he goes to a witch in Endor. Now there always been the occult and those who uh, practice witchcraft, but they were banned from Israel. But yet there was a witch that they knew about that was in Endor. So Saul goes to her, if you know the story, and he asks her to call up Samuel. And you know what? She does, and Samuel appears. And he's not in a good mood, and he doesn't have anything good to say to Saul but he does appear from beyond the grave. So that's an interesting thing here uh, to see someone who's dead called up and respond uh, to someone who's alive. Now, there's a lot of implications there. Some of those rabbit holes I don't even want to go down and probably you shouldn't either, but this is a fact that it happened in Scripture. Uh, God had withdrawn his presence from Saul and he wouldn't speak to him, so he calls up Samuel. That's something unique about his life. We know Samuel is in the afterlife. He's in heaven. We're going to see him someday. Uh, number 10, uh, this is the last one. Before I wrap this up in the next three hours, we're just going to cover number 10. See if you're listening. Samuel is known for his powerful prayer life. One of the marks of this guy is, yeah, he's a priest. He has a heart for the people. He makes intercession on their behalf. He's a prophet. He speaks the word of the Lord. But this guy also had an amazingly powerful prayer life. It says here in Psalm 99, verse 6, the psalmist lists Samuel as a prayer warrior and someone who could hear from God. It says, Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Listen, and Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. 
So Samuel is in this very elite group of people who could have a, a, a legitimate connection to God to the point where they communicated with him in such a way where when they called, when they inquired, God would answer. They had a, you know, this direct connection to God that was a bit uncommon in the Old Testament. So Moses, Aaron, and Samuel, they called upon the Lord, and he answered them. When Samuel prayed, when he prayed for the people, when he ministered to God, when he needed to hear the voice of God, when he prophesied the word of God, he could hear and speak, and that is an amazing skill set, amen? People who have powerful prayer connections with God are a huge blessing and asset to the body of Christ. There are some people who just have that gift of intercession, that gift of discernment, and that that prayer warrior status where they hear from God and speak the word of the Lord. Now, saints who are mature, mature enough, spiritually mature enough to hear the voice of God and wise enough to discern his will and holy enough to have them answer him are a blessing to the body of Christ. We should all strive to have those things, amen? How many times do we get in a mess and our emotions are stirred up and maybe we have opinions or maybe we're confused and we can't hear God at all? That happens to a lot of us. Come on, don't try and look so holy out there tonight. Oh, no, I can always hear. No, there's times where we're emotionally frazzled. There's times where we're deceived and confused. And if we can go to people who routinely hear the voice of God, know the word of the Lord, That's an asset and a blessing to the body of Christ. We should strive to be such people, to be able to discern his will, holy enough to have him answer us, and and to be able to hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice. Amen. Listen, God doesn't talk to people who are in habitual sin. Quiet now. Well, I thought I could do whatever I want. I could move in with my girlfriend. I could, you know, I could cheat on my spouse. I could do that. And, I, you know, God is always going to hear my prayers. No, when we repent and get right with him and, and, and stop with the mess, then maybe the lines of communication open up again. Look, I know that's not a very popular message. You know, the world is like, God hears all prayers. I'm sorry, but no, he doesn't. I'm enjoying this. God hears the prayers of his saints. God hears the prayers of the redeemed. God hears the prayers of the righteous. He's under no obligation to hear the prayers of the wicked. If he does, it's because of his amazing grace. So Samuel had a powerful prayer life, a connection to God. He could hear the voice of the Lord. Now, we're going to transition out of those 10 things I just talked about and close down the message with this. You know, it's almost hard to find anything in Samuel's life that would be a knock against him or a mark against his character. Everything this guy seems to do seems drenched in faith. So the fact that he's in the Hall of Fame of Faith here in Hebrews 11 is kind of a no-brainer, and he's in there. That being said, I'd like to point out a few things that are unique and kind of special that I think, you know, would, would be the marks that got him in there. Number one, it's kind of like point 10 that we just covered. Samuel knew how to hear from God. And that made him special. As a child, Samuel learned to hear the voice of God. I want to read you 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 10. Listen to this. This is, first Samuel, this is Samuel's first interaction with the Lord. He's a little boy. He's been given to Eli, the high priest, to raise. And he has his first interaction with God. And I want you to listen to it. It says in 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 10, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. 
and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Think about that. You know, coming out of the, you know, this, this period, it's the judge's time. There's no leadership, and the word of the Lord is rare. It says in verse 2, And it came to pass at the time, while Eli was laying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was laying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you, lie down. And he went and lied down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. He answered, I did not call you, my son, go lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel a third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, did you call me? Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lied down in his place, and the Lord did call again. And his response was, your servant hears, speak. And from that point on, the Lord began to speak to Samuel, and Samuel was able to hear the voice of the Lord. Notice three times as a child, before his anointing had kicked in, he didn't discern the voice of the Lord. He thought it was, you know, the high priest, but it wasn't. At that moment, he learned to discern the voice of the Lord, and he never lost that ability. And from that moment forward, he heard from the Lord till he went back to the Lord. The second thing about Samuel that would get him into the Hall of Fame of Faith was this. Samuel never sugarcoated the truth. You know, there's something to be said about prophets. Most people who know prophetic people or people with a prophetic mantle say that prophets don't have good bedside manner, meaning that a prophet will just say it like it is, just like God put it in his mouth, and he doesn't care who it offends. We need more prophets in the church. Now, look, I'm a pastor, and you know what? I, I don't want to hurt people. My, my, my call is not to shatter and destroy people, but to build them back up. I'm a builder. I like to take broken people and build them back up. But there's also a prophetic edge to anyone's ministry who preaches the word, and sometimes you just got to say it like it is. And if you've been around long enough, you know that sometimes Pastor Rick just says it like it is. Samuel never sugar-coated the truth. 1 Samuel 3, 17 and 18. And he said, what is the word of the Lord spoken to you? This is Samuel talking to Eli, the high priest. After God woke the boy up after three times and spoke to him, Eli says to him, please do not hide it from me. Go do Go do so to God do so to you, and even more, if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him, and he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. You see, Eli had been judged by God and rejected by God, and there was a, a pronouncement against his house <clears throat> that he would be killed, that his sons would be killed. Obviously, the Lord told little Samuel some things that were hard to say, and when Eli asks about him, he tells it just like it is. When Saul wants to know things from Samuel, Samuel does not sugarcoat it. He tells the king 
just how it is. And understand, you take off a king back in those days, and there was no due process. There was just a speedy execution at their whim. So even for the mighty prophet of God, it was a risk to him, you know, his own neck to tell it like it is. But all the time with Saul, even though he loved Saul, he told him the exact truth and didn't sugarcoat it. When God's people wanted a king, he told them the unpopular truth that it was a disgraceful idea. All the days of his life, Samuel told the truth without sugarcoating it, and he served it up just how God gave it to him. Number three, the third mark of this guy's character that got him in the Hall of Fame of Faith is this. Samuel was absolutely loyal to God's agenda, not man's. See, that's a rare quality. Why? Because we're flesh and we're blood and we have allegiances and we have alliances and we have friends and, you know, we have politics and men can be loyal to a lot of different things. And sometimes they're loyal more to the things of earthly kingdoms than the heavenly kingdom. Sometimes men, even men that stand behind the pulpit, are, are more uh, attached to, you know, earthly things and politics and things that, you know, are, are so far below the kingdom of heaven and they, and they push God aside to appease people. Samuel was never that guy. He was always for God's agenda, not man's. He was loyal to God, and to be loyal to God takes guts and it takes faith. It took faith for Samuel to anoint David as king while Saul still sat on the throne. That took guts, and that took faith. It took faith to refuse all the sons of Jesse that were brought before him and say, is there another? Listen, that took guts, and it took faith because he didn't know if there was another, but he knew God hadn't picked any of these guys. It took faith, and it took guts for Samuel to rebuke Saul when Saul was wrong and, and to constantly hold him accountable and to the point where he has to openly rebuke the king. Listen to 1 Samuel 28, 17. Here's what Samuel says to the king. He says, and the Lord has done so to him as he spoke by me. For the Lord has rent the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Wow. The prophet says to the king, you lost the kingdom and God ripped it out of your hands Guess what? He gave it to David. Not only does he cut him and make him bleed, he pours salt right in it. That takes guts, and that takes faith. These are just a few of the reasons why he is the perfect candidate for the Hall of Fame of Faith. His character, his integrity, his guts, his unwillingness to compromise, a perfect example of what a godly person should be. In the Old Testament, Think about how much more we should operate in the New Testament full of the Holy Spirit and full of revelation, amen? Samuel is a great example for us. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice tonight that we would hear these principles and allow them to penetrate our hearts, Lord, that they would change our perception of things. God, that we would embrace integrity and character, that we would be kingdom people uh, devoted to you, always willing to speak the truth in love, not willing to compromise, to, to appease people and earthly kingdoms, to serve you even at our own peril. Father, the things of Samuel's character are even hard for us to wrap our minds around. 
But Father, in our everyday lives, I pray that we would embrace these principles and apply them to our lives, that we would be a shining example of what it means to be a child of God in a dark world. I pray it in Jesus' name. Give him a hand clap of praise tonight.